All right. I got I got check marks. I think we're good. And I have a guest, which which already makes this episode of a, of David's live stream 100% better. Um as as people start to filter in, uh I'm going to I'm going to play the intro and then we're going to get started. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Dealmaking, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like, and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Hey, welcome, Rick. How are you? And welcome to everyone viewing. How how you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing great, Dave. How about yourself? I'm doing really well too. I went to the barber shop this morning. Got all trimmed up so I'd be in like tip top condition here for for video and everything. And um, you know, for for viewers of the YouTube channel who've been watching for a long time, you'll know that Rick and I are friends. And Rick, you've been I I think a guest on every one of my Christmas Eve specials. I think you kind of ghosted me one year, but I more than more than a couple for sure that I've been there. Yeah, I think I think you've been there for for all of them. There's only been like three. I only started a few years ago, okay. but um, it, but listen, let me tell you why I I reached out and I wanted to have you on live. Um, every week, Erica uh, goes through the questions and comments that people leave on YouTube videos, and she compiles them. And there was a video that I made a few months ago about. Uh, it was a guy in the UK talking about cash in a business and someone left a comment about stealing and cash and businesses that had a lot of cash and how to make sure people don't steal. And I was thinking about that going, yeah, I need to make a video about loss prevention or theft or any of those kinds of things. And then I realized you wrote a book about it. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and for everyone here watching and, and yes, there will be live Q and a. So if you've got a question or a comment, put it in the, in the questions in the comments and we will get to it as we go along. But I just want to show the cover of, of Rick's book. It's called the art of restaurant theft, 70 sneaky tricks your employees may be doing. And I, I have this in my, my Amazon bookstore. I want to be talking with you a little bit about this today, but first let's do a recap for people who, who don't know who you are about what makes you an authority to be able to write a book like that. Well, I'll tell you why I wrote the book and then I'll, and I'll give you the authority at the same time. Um, I got into the restaurant business having come from middle management and, you know, a decent sized business and um, got into the restaurant business and all of a sudden things started happening and I didn't really understand like, you know, how people were stealing and why this would happen. And every time I would talk to a supplier or another restaurant operator, they would, they would start laughing and giggling and say, oh yeah, well, that's just a rite of passage. Like, what do you mean a rite of passage? Like, I need to know this stuff on day one, not three years in. And it can't be just through experience that I kind of gain my spider senses. So as I was going along, uh, I well, I actually wrote the book after I sold my initial restaurants. And I was like, you know, I just don't want other restaurant operators to have to go through that rite of passage. That identify where some of the issues may be. Learn that, hey, I that just happened. That doesn't seem right. I'm going to dive in because there's potentially something wrong there. Simple things like in, in the book, there's one part where I talk about the employee who used to wrap up steaks in a garbage bag, double, double tie the bag, throw it in the garbage bin. Like just go out with the regular garbage, throw it in the garbage bin. And then when the restaurants close later in the evening, come back to the bin and grab $200 worth of steaks. Wow. Like just dumb stuff that if you're not paying attention, you'd never know. Uh, we've got people filtering in from all over. We've got uh, uh, Kevin down in Lakeland, Florida says, good evening. Hey, Kevin, good to see you again, man. And uh, we have Ferdos, uh, who's in Texas, says hi. And uh, he's one of your fans. So Ferdos is excited that you're back tonight. Um, so hey, just so you know, I love Texas. And if I, if I ever live in a second place outside of where I'm at right now, it's probably going to be Texas. You, you've spent a lot of time in Austin. I have, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and we we have Las Vegas is in the house here too as well. So the the whole garbage bag thing. I mean, 
how did you catch that? Like, obviously you have to observe somebody doing that. Your weekly inventory count might show that meat is missing from the cooler, but then how do you backtrack and discover just exactly where it disappeared? Well, you, you don't. You, you basically have to go into an investigation. You're absolutely right, though, in terms of your inventory management. If you're not managing your inventory, you'll never know. Right. Um, but when you're looking at your POS, and again, POS is a must for any restaurant or retail type business. But if you look at your POS and then you start backtracking against your sales, you're like, okay, it's, it's, it's fair to lose a couple because, you know, it could drop on the floor when you're serving it or a customer might have returned it and had to be remade. But to lose a case or two cases... That's an anomaly that has to be explained. And, and I remember the, the uh, kitchen manager that was responsible for it, he was, he was saying, oh, we've sold so much steak this week. Wow. Okay. And I just, it just reeked me right away. I was like, why did he feel it's so necessary to tell me that? And, and again, because I had been in the business at that point, probably six years, I was like, okay, let's go check the inventory. Check the inventory, check the beginning, ending inventory, check the POS, which was sold. I'm like, no, there's two cases missing. Wow. So then right away, it was like the kitchen manager's on my radar. So you and I have had many discussions where we talk about costs, food costing and watching costs in restaurants. And as soon as the food cost starts to tick in one direction, you know, half a percentage point or whatever, your spidey sense starts to go up that there's something going on. What you know, what are some of the, these, you, you put 70 sneaky things in the book. Yeah. What are some of the biggest ones that happen the most often? Well, you have to remember, there's only two ways an employee can steal, right? The, the two ways are time and money. And when I okay. say money, I mean product and all these other things. So you, you can, your inventory will move. And again, this has nothing to do with just restaurants. It has to do with any business. Your, your inventory or your cost, you know, whether it's food cost or cost of goods sold, they will move depending on the mix that is sold, right? But they won't move up a half a percent or a percent a week. They'll, they'll tick up maybe one, two percent, and then they'll come back down. And it's a wave more than a climb, right? Um, but over time, as you start managing it, you're saying, okay, well, what's really going on? What happened? And then you never worry, like in the restaurant business, you're never going to worry about if somebody stole a tomato because a tomato has basically no value to the bottom line. Um, but what you're going to look at is your gold star items like the steaks, mm -hmm. the salmons, the chickens, or any other lobster if you have seafood. And you're going to start managing those items. And that's only going to be about 5% of the inventory that anyone's ever going to want to steal anyways. Right. So, so this is kind of akin to how, uh, you know, when you go into a, a place like a Costco, they've got all of the very, very high end things locked in a locker for better control. It's yeah. about this. It's about figuring out what are the most likely things to disappear and let's figure out systems to watch them even more closely. Exactly. And it's the same thing with a, with a pharmacy or a drugstore. You're walking in the higher priced items are behind the counter. Um, but if you want to get some Tylenol, you can probably just grab the Tylenol and go to the counter. Like, like there's things like that. Absolutely. They're going to be locked away. I mean, if you go into, where was it? I was in recently. Well, not recently, but, um, a few years ago, you know, you'd, you'd go to a Walmart and there were just certain things that are, that are under lock and key. You know, at one time it used to be, uh, it used to be shells. If you wanted a shotgun shell, you couldn't just buy it, which I understand. They don't want kids to get access to it either. But but anything of high value is going to be locked away. So in, in the restaurant business, you just look at the stuff that has high value that things will, you know, people will steal. Okay. And so, you know, when I think about a, a restaurant, for example, I'm thinking about, you know, people um, who are like making themselves lunch or, yeah. or making food and giving it to their friends, for example. Like, like, can you give us some other examples of some of the common stuff that happens there again? So there's two things that they can steal time or money. And when it comes to the money part, there's many things they can do because a, obviously they could steal direct cash. So if there's cash flying around, they could pocket the cash in a restaurant. There's going to be tips so they can kind of figure out, okay, oh, there's a $5 tip left on that table in cash. I'm going to grab that and stow it away. Um, you know, whether it's another server or a busser or someone else. And, and that'll happen. And you have you mean to sometimes employees will steal from each other. Oh, absolutely. Okay. That's what, that's where it's coming from. They're either stealing from each other or they're stealing from business. 
right? So it's cash. And if they can get access, and I mean, we had an example where there was this young girl working for us. And, if you know, on the outside looking in, she was a good employee. She always showed up. She did her job, worked hard, went home. Uh, but there was little things that were happening over time. Uh, it looked like the tips may have been going down because we were using a tip a tip pool system. And the tips seemed to be going down in relation to our, our, our sales. And I didn't expect it to be service because service seemed to be getting better and better. We were getting more experienced. And I'm like, there's something going on here. Um, and then one day I just did an audit of everyone's aprons and she had a couple bucks on her. And, you know, you feel you feel kind of responsible that maybe you haven't told her that she's not supposed to have money on her at for extended periods of time. And and uh, and then she doesn't do that anymore. And, and over time, we ended up putting in cameras and I was watching her like a hawk and I couldn't catch her. Uh, but one day, just be, again, because I was so hands on in the business and I really knew she was stealing, there was just something that wasn't right. And uh, one day on the camera, I saw her go into the till, uh, which it was her job to go to the till to accept payments from customers. Uh, but she went into the till and she took out four fives and she made change for a 20 and she took the 20 out. But she, I don't know where that 20 went because where we had a little jar where the tips went into, it was like a, like a, one of those wine cartons. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I actually did the tips that night, which I did many nights anyways. And there was no $20 bill in that carton. So that $20 bill never made it back. And that was, that was the basis of me letting her go. So, you know, when we think about controls and systems and cash registers and stuff there, I guess there's a limit to how much you can actually implement some of these systems. Eventually uh -huh. at some point you end up sitting through hours of video footage, watching somebody work. If you, again, the cameras that I always put into my businesses, I, I would tell the employees, they're not there to watch you. They're there to catch something. If something goes wrong. Right. So in, in this case, I knew this one employee was of, extreme interest for theft. So I just watched her like a hawk. She was only there for four hours that day. So for four hours, I watched her every movement at the cash. And, and eventually I caught her. It took me a while though. I would say it was a good six months from the time I built my, my suspect of her to the time I caught her. And, and yeah, so that was one. I mean, there's other things where employees will, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll bring out, uh, fruit cocktails or orange juices for free to their friends or their families and or they'll try to do it and maybe discount it to get a bigger tip and they'll do all these different things and we had one employee who her her significant other would come in every week great customer every week and every week um he would only pay 50% for his meal we didn't have a policy that family members paid 50% um, and then, and then he would always get all the extras. And so he had the free orange juice and he had the coffee that wouldn't be rung in and he'd have all these other mm -hmm. things. And the, the first time, you know, it was brought to our attention. We we're like, well, we're going to have a staff meeting, let everybody know that, you know, what's, what's the, what the rules are for our, our friends and our family. And a week later she did it again. So she was doing it very cognizantly. And, and we had to let her go. And she didn't understand. We're like, well, you're stealing from us. That orange juice wasn't yours. It, it's mine. It's my businesses and it's mine. And, and do you think that's, how do you think the rationalization occurs? I mean, obviously some people know that they are stealing. They, they know that they're acting in a, in a, as a thief. Yeah. Um, but other people would tend to rationalize this in different ways. Like, oh, well, you know, that plate of spaghetti only costs 50 cents. So no one's going to miss it. Right. Well, yeah. well, have you, have you ever had someone get caught and kind of argue with you or try to defend themselves? Yeah, she was one of them. Okay. Uh, I mean, there's a sense of entitlement, right? So I, I work hard, you know, they, they trust me with a lot of things. Maybe I'm not getting as paid as much as I think I'm worth. Um, you know, what's, what's a glass of orange juice going to mean to this business? And, you know, and I know that it's not about the glass of orange juice. I don't think they understand that, right. It's about trust. Mm. And, and, and the trust that we had in that employee was, was lost when she started doing things that were against the best interest of the business. Um, but yeah, they'll, they'll argue things. And I, we had a young employee again, this is, these are all these different stories, but we had a young employee that my wife had hired 
And uh, my wife had been off that day and I just happened to show up at, at her restaurant to uh, take care of a couple things. And I noticed that, and again, I don't know why, I don't think in the early days I would have been able to do it, but that's one day she walked back towards the staff room where everyone's coats were and she was jingling, which means she had change on her uh, from the tips and so on. And when she came back out again, don't know why my spidey senses were alert. She wasn't jingling. I'm like, Oh, where did that jingle go? <laughs> right? Like it, like, there's only one place to go. It was to the back and then back to the front. Yeah. And, and, and where the money was supposed to be was at the front. So we, uh, again, this is, you know, I'm sure labor law and I'll admit to it. I have no problem with it because it, it's, it's, it was illegal what she had done. But, um, I was like, she just stole money from us. And, uh, so I, I, I was talking to the manager and said, uh, which, what's is her jacket? And she goes, well, what do you, why do you want to do? I'm like, I'm going to check the jacket. I'm not going to take anything from the jacket, but I'm going to check the jacket. And I know that's, you know, people will say that's illegal. You can't do that. Listen sue me um so i found her jacket i opened her jacket there was a bunch of money in there it was like 20 dollars worth of loonies and toonies because that's how canadians have their change and and i was like okay so i counted out it was roughly 20 dollars, and i left it alone and then i left the restaurant and i told the manager i said when is she finished so she told me what time she's gonna finish I said okay i'll be back like 20 minutes before she finishes her shift I came back again. I asked the manager to kind of distract her. I went back to the jacket just to make sure. And there was $45 in there. Wow. Those loonies and tunies were busy in that pocket. Absolutely. So clearly it wasn't her money because it grew in her shift where she wasn't going anywhere. And, and the manager was aware that I was watching her and I called my wife and I said, we got to fire her. She'd only been working for us for two weeks. And so my wife came in on her day off and we fired her on the spot. And she was like, I didn't do anything wrong. And I, I didn't want to admit to her what I had done. And this is actually the first time I've ever admitted publicly what I had done. But, um, I said, no, we know we, we've been around this business long enough to know when someone's stealing and we know you stole. So why don't you just give us back the money? So she did, she went back, she brought us the money. It was like $45, which was what I had confirmed. And, and then, but she tried to negotiate to keep her job. And, and she was working on, um, some type of a co-op program. And we're like, you're lucky. We just don't call the, the institution where you're going to school and tell them that you're a thief. Like you should just leave now and be happy. We're not going to say anything further. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned earlier about gratuities, and I know that different places have different kind of operations for gratuities. Some places yeah. you, you leave a cash tip, you know, the employee just takes that as their money. Yeah. Other places, well, and obviously when you use a credit card to give a tip, it obviously has to go through the till in some fashion. Um, what is the norm nowadays? Like, are you, do you have to then record how much in gratuities a certain person earns? And then that's part of, uh, you know, the disclosure that the government somehow figures out as far as taxing yeah. them on their earnings? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely uh, the federal government likes to get their piece of the pie. Uh, there are requirements that, you know, it, it may have changed over the last few years because I haven't been in the restaurant business now for close to three years. Um, but there there was a requirement that if management uh, controlled the tip distribution, it had to be recorded as earnings on their T4s. Right. Right. And if management, if it was self-monitored by employees, it didn't have to be monitored or didn't have to be reported. Okay. So, so basically sort of realizing that if you were in control of it, that, that you had the ability to report it because otherwise you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. Yeah. And within the servers, like the group would always come together and say, uh, we're going to report something because if, 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 you know, on the T4s, it says we work in a restaurant and we're challenged on what we did as a job, reporting nothing in gratuities would be a huge mistake yeah. and, and be open for investigation. Yeah. So how many at, at your peak, how many different restaurants did you have under your ownership? At one time, hmm. at one time I would have had four, okay. I had seven in total over the 14 years I was in business. So at, in that time when you had four different restaurants under your ownership, 
obviously you couldn't be in all the places all at once and you had to rely on other people to be managers and whatnot. Yeah. What, what kind of success rate did your managers have at catching people do this kind of thing versus your own spidey sense, intuition, observation, et cetera? Well, we had the, the first examples I gave you were from my first businesses that we, we bought and sold. Um, I had been in business at that point for basically 13 years. Uh, my wife was one of the managers and I was there a lot with her. So, and it was a different type of setup. So it was only open for five hours in the evening and it was a, it was a slower paced, higher end type restaurant. So we didn't have really any issues. I mean, we had to always watch our food inventory, which we had, I had a pretty good handle on, on how to manage the food inventory. So we were okay there. Um, the other, the other businesses were very different. Uh, we had managers in place. Um, uh, and it, to be honest, it was one of the managers that I was most concerned about, not the employees. Yeah. And, uh, in the, and in that case, we had we had inventory controls, but we also had uh, cash controls. And I'll give you another example of what one of my managers had done. Uh, again, stealing time or money, right? Uh, in this case, uh, she needed cash. And she called me and asked me for a loan. And I didn't have it. So I couldn't give it to her. So when it came time to do her, her nightly deposits, uh, she started falling behind on her nightly deposits. So, and then, you know, and she would, you know, her excuse was I'm working 60 hours a week. I don't always have time to go to the bank, which I can somewhat accept. I mean, I mean, you know, there is, there is the challenge that you can say, no, there's a hard no on that one. You, you have night deposits, go make the night deposit at the end of every, at the end of every shift. Um, but anyways, all that to say, she started slipping behind. And at one point she was seven days behind. And, and I started saying, you know, I really need you to go put those deposits in the bank. And, and she's like, yeah, I'll do it. And then on Friday night, I'd ask her, are the deposits in? Yes, they're in. Great. And then on Monday morning, they weren't all in. So, and so let's be clear about this. So people understand what you're saying. So so any money received during with the credit card, that just gets batch filed overnight, ends up in your bank account. That's right. But this is cash money that accumulates in the till. At the end of the night, you count the money, take back out your float for the next day, your change, right. your small bills, et cetera. Yep. And then the bigger amounts, this is the amount that goes into that envelope for that, that funky little safe on the outside of the bank that probably you have a key for, right? That's the right. deposit right. safe, right? Yep. And so she's supposed to bring, because I've worked in retail stores before where I've I've either, I've never been the person actually who was supposed to do it, but I was often sent with the person who was supposed to do it because in some of the places I worked, those envelopes were big and they would wanted someone to go as an escort to the person who was going to make that deposit. Yes. And, you know, being a tall guy, often it was me. So, so I would go there, we'd make the deposit. And so what you're saying is that like six or seven days of these deposits were simply not made. Yeah. And the, the idea was that it was like, on the passenger seat of her car or something like it was just no we, we, well, no, we had a safe in the office so the the assumption was all the money was in the safe okay uh, and, you know in in the world of credit cards and debit cards today we're not talking twenty five thousand dollars we're talking maybe six seven thousand dollars right it's not an extreme amount of money because most of it is on plastic right. however that that money still needs to get into the account for one for reconciliation purposes but two, I mean, that cash is utilized for purchasing more equip, more, more food supplies or payroll or whatever it may be. So it wasn't, it wasn't immaterial because it was thousands of dollars, but it wasn't hundreds of dollars. Um, anyway, so all that to say, what ended up happening was, and it was over a period where we were extremely busy. And at that time, there was probably about $9,000 outstanding. And, and what she was doing, what I found out, my, my spidey senses were, that she needed money, I said no, and she may have borrowed the money from the cash. And so when I, I go to the restaurant on Monday morning, and I'm like, did you get all the money? Did you put all the money in the bank on Friday? Yes. So if you all the money's in the bank on Friday, then the only deposits we should have in the restaurant right now are Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, right? Because it's Monday morning. Right. And I said, okay, so give me the deposits from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And she looked at me like confused, like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I want them. Like, it's my money. I want to take them to the bank. She goes, well, I'll do it later. I'm like, no, no, no. I want them right now. And what I found out was she was taking her cash forward 
and saying, okay, well, I, it was $1,900 on Wednesday. Okay. Here's $1,900. I'm going to put it in the, in the bag. I'm going to deposit it for Wednesday, Wednesday. Cause I would make sure they match perfectly with the POS. She kept borrowing from future envelopes to backfill the one from where she had taken the money. Yeah, exactly. So when I showed up on that Monday, what I realized was we were $6,000 short and it wasn't in the restaurant and it wasn't at the bank. No. Right. And, and then, so, but did she know that she had been caught? Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those, it's one of those situations. And I, I wish I could say, I wish I could say I did something different, but I didn't. So, okay. So the, someone here has asked, you know, in particular, like, Hey, Dave and Rick, what are the unique reasons that the restaurant industry as a whole has a higher failure rate than other kinds of businesses that decide where the typical, why are they typically harder to run? But let's focus on the theft is, is, does this business have more opportunities for this kind of stuff than most other businesses? Do you think? Well, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of people, right? There's people aren't making 80, $90,000 a year. There a lot of them are making a couple bucks more than the minimum wage requirements. Right. And, and so, you know, depending on the needs of, of the people, uh, there's going to be a requirement to, to figure out how they're going to survive. And unfortunately, you know, the, the, the world has changed since COVID in that the restaurant industry has been crying for years of no staff. Now everyone's complaining about no staff. And, and what happens is it's a trickle down effect. So as restaurants continuously have no staff, um, guess what happens? They have to hire individuals that have been unemployable in the past. So mm. people who had spent time in prison for whatever reason, you know, people who who uh, were unemployable because they were drug addicts or alcoholics and wouldn't maintain steady employment. So those people have, um, I guess, needs. <laughs> and in those needs, they have to support. And, and maybe the salary doesn't have an, isn't a, isn't high enough to support those needs. OK, so so. You mentioned theft of money or time. Can you can you give an example of, of another way that someone would steal time from a business? Well, there's tons of ways. In the restaurant industry, the easiest one is clock in when they're not working, show up an hour before the start time, clock in and go to the back and read the newspaper. Uh, they're not working. Uh, they shouldn't have been working. Or they'll call a friend and say, hey, log me in. I'm running 20 minutes late. And when I get there, I'll already be, you know, Rick won't know I was late. Well, I paid you for not being here, right? right? And the same thing at the end of the day. I leave a little early and uh, call in later and say, oh, I forgot to log out. I left at four o'clock. No, you left at three o'clock, right? Things like that in terms of time. But in, in outside of the restaurant industry, I mean, people are stealing time all the time. You know, if you're in the construction industry and you've been sent to go pick up, uh, let's say, two by four lumber at the local hardware store, um, instead of going to directly to get the two by four lumber, you, you make a stop at the bar or you, you go somewhere else and you go pick up your kids and then you come back and, or you say you were at a job site all day and you weren't there. I, I remember when I was a teenager, I used to work at the movie theater and, uh, I would sometimes work at the candy bar and we had very, very tight controls there. We, we would actually count all the bags and all the cups at the beginning of our shift count all the bags and all the cups at the end of our shift, count all of the candy in the display. And we would have each person would be assigned a till <clears throat> and I would be responsible for that till. And I would be the only hands in that till. And at the end of the night, we would go through all of the stuff again. We would do all the counting again, all the money counting, all the inventory, et cetera. And it always blew me away that with a pretty large operation with like 12 tills, on average, most nights we were within target of like two dollars. Mm -hmm. You know, everything would balance within two bucks. And in those days, we didn't have electronic cash registers. All of the pricing, tax included, rounded to quarters so that we could quickly do math in our head. And obviously, some people would, might make a mistake and the customer didn't catch it or what have you. But it, it blew me away. But when I walk into a lot of other businesses, like I was in a, in a bar on the weekend. And there were like five different people in the till. And, you know, there's no inventory control. So 
So it's like one person can could actually hide their nefarious activity, be camouflaged by those other people. Absolutely. And we saw that even one of one of my restaurants when I bought it, uh, we had two tills and like five, six employees were running back and forth between the two tills. And I had I had to talk to the cashiers and say, listen, you're responsible for this till. So when it's short at the end of the night, it's your money. And if you're over, well, I'll give you the money. I don't care. But you better not be short. And if someone else is getting in your till and you're short, that's on you. You shouldn't have let them in your till. Right. And so we had those skills. But I want to go back to the movie theater for a minute, Dave. Sure. Um, I, I have a guy that I know when he was a, a he was a high school student and he was selling hot dogs at a um, on a hot dog stand like where, you know, where the ferry terminal used to be. And yeah. uh, the ferry terminal is not there anymore because there's a bridge going across. And so he was responsible for selling hot dogs to all these people who were going vacationing. Well, he figured out. And I, I can't even imagine. And this would happen in the in any business, including the movie theater. He figured out that the only way he could make more money was not waiting for the bonus to sell more hot dogs. All he had to do was go buy his own hot dogs and his own buns mm. and sell them there. And yep. at the end of the night, he knew what he had with an inventory. And he just made sure he had less inventory when he was done. Right? So similar, if you're selling Skittles, how hard is it to go down to the local store somewhere and get a bunch of Skittles and you know the movie theater's marking them up. That markup now is yours, though. Well, this is one of the reasons why the movie theater sells the abnormally large and odd-sized packages that aren't available everywhere. There but but to your point about the hot dogs, I know someone else who used to at one time have several hot dog carts and ended up having to search people coming to work, and he would find people with packs of hot dogs stuffed down their pants because yeah. they were going to sell those hot dogs and pocket all the cash. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What's uh what 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 was one of the most innovative forms of theft that you've ever come across? Oh man, you know what? I took a, I took a couple of notes. Let me see what I can find here. Uh Oh, one of the one of the most innovative and definitely happened a lot and it still happens is uh transferring of food from one table to another. Not one that would go to a kitchen because there are controls that go into the kitchen. Um, but like for instance, uh, a, a, a glass of, of soda, right. Okay. So selling Pepsi. So you would take, you would order the Pepsi first time you'd order the Pepsi and Pepsi you're, you're responsible cause there's no bartender slinging Pepsi. So you go pour the Pepsi from the fountain machine and bring it to the customer and ring in the order and so on. So the kitchen's doing the food and the food comes out and customer leaves, customer pays and, then the Pepsi gets transferred to the next table that's ordering Pepsi. And it gets transferred again and again and again and again. So and you do that 40 times in a night at $2 a pop, you just made 80 bucks. So, okay. So just so people understand, if you sit down at a table and there's four friends, you could, you might be at one table, but the, the server might create four different checks in the POS system. And if they bring something, maybe an app that you decide to split, the server can then split that between two of those checks. That's right. And so what you're talking about is somebody buys a, a Pepsi, they pay for it, but then the next person orders a Pepsi, instead of putting in a new sale, they transfer it from the, the table that's already paid and left to the new table. So in the inventory system, there's still only one Pepsi sold, even though this person's collected from two people. Absolutely. And how uh, can you control that? You can't. Like the only way you can control it is because you have to look at the transfers. You look at the transfers or you look at the discounts or the voids or so on. Cause the transfers, albeit seems just normal because you know, sometimes you'll say, well, no, I transferred it because I had put it on the wrong customer. That's fair. Right. But when you see a product like a Pepsi, that's not going into the kitchen, which creates the control, but it transfers coffee is another one transfers 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 immediately you i know what's what she's doing or he's doing wow man so it's worthwhile getting your book right if you're going to be in this business yeah well listen the book's not very expensive i didn't write it for any other reasons than to help other people uh not experience the types of losses that i've had i mean i've had other losses since then that i wasn't aware of like the one i told you about the cash deposits 
anything at all that you can do. And again, it doesn't have to be in the restaurant business. The, the key is control. And, and I'm in, you know, when you're hands on, uh, someone had told me when I first got started in the business, don't trust anyone. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a cynical way of looking at the world. Like you got to trust people. The one of the reasons why we've been successful in life is we work together. Um, but then I, after a few years of being in the business, I understood what he meant. Uh, and I do, I still trust people, but I also have an inclination to doubt um, sincerity. Mm -hmm. the, let's look at the other part of that question that popped up here. Uh, what are the other typical things that make these restaurants harder to run? I've always likened a restaurant to a miniature factory. So all of the problems and headaches that might occur in a factory with errors in production, et cetera, can happen every time someone places an order in a restaurant. I, I ordered uh, actually on the weekend, a little Caesar's pizza and I used their app and I, I wanted a half and half pizza. And when we got there to pick it up, the person who made the pizza didn't pay enough attention and they put the ingredients across the entire pizza. And I didn't want to wait for a new one. So I just took it. Yep. But the, you know, I paid for four meats on half the pizza, but I got four meats on the whole pizza. And if I had complained about it, they probably would have made me a new one. Meaning the one that was made that had all the expensive ingredients would have ended up in the garbage or they would have eaten it, I guess. That's another way you can steal from a restaurant. <laughs> you well, tell us about make, that. Well, you make a mistake on purpose. Oh, right? okay. It's nine o'clock. The restaurant's closing at nine. I just ordered a pizza with half, half, but I didn't, I didn't make it half, half. I made it double meat when the customer gets it. It's like, well, I didn't want double meat. I just wanted half, half. Oh, we'll make it for you again. Or I didn't want barbecue sauce on it or I'm lactose intolerant or whatever. And it's all of a sudden, guess what? Who Guess who has a late night meal at the end of their shift? Yeah. The right. person that makes the pizzas. Right. So to answer the question though, Dave, um, there are many reasons why restaurants have a higher uh, sense of failure. Uh, one of them, think about it for a minute, tons of competition. Mm. Tons. Like, like there's not a business, there's not a, a category in any city or town that has more competition in it. And remember this, no one has to eat in a restaurant. Right. They can eat at home. The biggest competitor a restaurant will ever face is in-home dining. So there's number one. Number two, as I mentioned earlier, many moving parts. So you have all these staff. Hopefully they all show up. Hopefully they're all decent at their jobs and they don't make a lot of mistakes. But if they don't serve the customer properly, you know, maybe the first time from a loyal customer will accept it. Second time they'll accept it. Third time they start questioning their decisions. By the fourth time, they're like, you know what? Maybe it's time we stop coming here because every time we come, we're not happy, right? No different than a, a relationship with an individual. Yeah. Uh, over time, you just you just lose the appetite to continue. So th that's another reason. And, and probably the biggest one of all is very low margins. There, there's not a lot of room for mistakes. Would um, now it's interesting that you say that because I often say that what draws people, what tricks people into getting into this industry when they don't really know it that well, are the large gross margins, because yeah. it, it's one of those businesses where you know, like think pasta restaurants, average food cost is what like twenty or twenty one percent. So people say, "Wow, I'm serving a ten dollar lunch; it only cost me two dollars to make." So, so that creates the illusion that there's a lot of money to be made. It's only later when they get into business, they realize they have to sell 2,000 of those lunches before they make the first dollar for themselves. And that's the other point. Because of the low margin, you need high volume. Right. Uh, Mike wants to know about people who just get up and leave after eating the dine and dashers. Is that a big concern? No, it does happen, but it's so rare. It's not even worth worrying about it. But yeah, I mean, that is theft in the restaurant for sure. I, I witnessed it at, uh, at an airport uh, bar in Chicago, actually, just this past summer in July. Uh, it was a very busy place, lots of people coming and going. I was sitting at a counter having a conversation with three or four people that were along the counter with me. There was one lady, two seats over, chatting it up, and she just got up and left. And the bartender came back and said, Who, who's with that lady that was sitting there? And none of us were. We're like, no one's with her. She was by herself. And he was like, I could tell from the look on his face that she had just left without paying. 
Oh, wow. Well, we, we seen from time to time, especially with the young families where mommy would go to the bathroom with, with little junior and daddy would have other little junior at the table and daddy would, you know, little junior number two is crying and whining and is like, okay, I'm going to get to the car. He's thinking she's going to pay. She comes out and she thinks he's paid. And that has uh, happened. That okay. has happened. But again, it's so rare that that's not, you know, again, maybe, maybe I look at the world through colored glasses sometimes and think, I don't think they do that on purpose, but maybe it was a complete ploy. All right. So now you've owned seven different restaurants. At one point you had four. Yeah. Now you have none. Mm -hmm. What's better life with or without restaurants? <laughs> Depends what you mean by what's better. <laughs> um, I mean, there is an addiction to restaurants and as you can see from my seven different ventures. Um, there is money to be made in restaurants, but it is a tough game to play. I mean, you know, out of the seven restaurants, I had two failures, like flop, completely lose money, have to figure out how to come up with other cash to finance the losses, right? Um, and I had five that were pretty good, you know, four that were really good and one that was okay, good. So- yeah. So, you know, there's money to be made in it. I mean, I, even in today's environment, COVID, pre, you know, post-COVID competition and so on, um, it's fun. It can be fun with the right group of people. Now, it's getting harder and harder to, to fill those roles and have good people. So to answer your question, what's better personally without restaurants? Like I, I, I crave the rush. Because it is fun, but I'm happy not to have to crave the rush. Well, uh, whenever people talk to me about restaurants, one of the things I like to point out is how some of the largest restaurant brand names out there are franchises. And I say, like, at one point, these guys made a decision that it was a lot better to grow with someone in each spot that had skin in the game and a real motivation to make it successful. Yes. And that, that's what the franchisee or the owner of each location is providing. And then I look at chains like Olive Garden, I think is, is a chain, right? It's all corporately owned. Yep. And, and I wonder how they do at, at being good at this kind of stuff that you're explaining to us about the controls and everything. Or do they just try to be in a category and execute so well that they, they are able to afford the, the drag of the losses and the theft? Well, the only difference between a, an Olive Garden, I think, and I'm not even sure if they're still together, but Olive Garden and Red Lobster used to be part of Darden Group. Mm. And I'm not sure if they're still part of Darden or not. But um, the only difference between that and a traditional chain like a like a McDonald's or an A&W or you know, Burger King, whatever, um, is that a lot of the systems in place are exactly the same. Instead of having a franchisee, you have a general manager who's you know, works for the corporation and that general manager's boss is a district manager. Well, that's no different in a franchise environment in that the franchisee has to respond to any needs of the district manager, hmm. not their boss, but they still have to work together in the team. So it's just a matter of incentivizing the right oversights so that that general manager has the same kind of goals and motivations. Well, exactly. It's it's no different than any other retail environment. If you look at, uh, like up here, we've got Dollarama. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure if Doll Dollar General, I think, is the same way in the U.S. It's it's all corporate stores, and they have a system in place to make sure that the uh, the the operators are, are running in you know conducive to the system that has been put in front of it. And you know, obviously, there's going to be theft in those environments too. And how do they manage that theft? And in my book, I talk about the controls and, and two of the controls that are absolutely necessary in these type of retail businesses are camera systems and point of sale systems. And mm -hmm. if you don't think you can afford a good point of sale system, I'm going to tell you, you can't afford not to. Yeah. Uh, we have a question here from Hermosa, Hermosa Beach Joe, who said, what made you, made you decide to start your own restaurant rather than a franchise? But some of your restaurants have been franchises. That's right. I had two franchises and five that were not. Yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, you bought businesses and you've started businesses uh, mm -hmm. in the restaurant trade. 
And so the, the ones you bought, obviously you knew they had some kind of track record. What, what was the motivation to start the new ones? You, you wanted to do something different or were you copying other things that you'd seen work before? Yeah. Yes. And yes. So, so just to, so Joe under Hermosa, Joe understands, uh, my first two businesses were franchises. I came from the franchise background. Uh, the company I worked for was a restaurant franchisor. And, and after I left that job, I managed another franchise within their family of franchises for a year. Um, and then when I finally got out on my own, I bought two other franchises completely separate from where I used to work and had done that for a total of seven years. Haven't had, you know, the, the years experience working in the corporate office as a general manager and then owning my own franchises. What I wanted to do was to start a business that was filling a gap that didn't exist in my market and franchise it. That was my goal. I set it up as a franchisable concept. So if you've read E-Myth Revisited, I had read that book. I consumed the details of it many times over, plus my experience of understanding what systems and controls need to be put in place. I started my own. One was a coffee shop. And at that time, there was only two Starbucks in all of a, a town of 130,000 people. And I was like, there is a huge opportunity to, to grab market share before Starbucks ever decides to explore uh, expansion. And, and it was a flop. I mean, love the concept, maybe not a great location for it and so on, but, um, and, but I lost a ton of money doing it. And then a few years later after that, I, I swore I was getting out of the restaurant business. Uh, and I got back in and I opened a kind of a sandwich slash pizza shop. Again, same idea. I was franchising it. I was creating systems and controls, the things that I knew were easy to do from, from the years past. And again, we were never able to get the sales that was required to be break even. And if I couldn't get to a break even after a while, I, I knew it was just going to, it was going to suck the blood out and I was no longer going to be in business if I kept going. So I, I closed that business. Yeah. And I, I mean, you mentioned their location and this is one of the, one of the, the things that's very difficult because you can, you can get a, all kinds of stuff, right. And really it's an alignment of so many different factors that leads ultimately to the success. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once you make the investment in that location, um, you know, that that's where you've committed to, I mean, you can't, you can't up and move it at that point. Well, you can, but it means you're going to, you're going to drop a hundred thousand dollars or more, right? Depending on what kind of business you have. It, it's always amazed me when I've seen people do different things with respect to location, sometimes major corporations, like I'm thinking of a major fuel chain here in my mind. Um, when the a highway interchange changed, they actually built a whole new station on a different side of the road and tore down the old one. Yep. And I was like, oh my God, they just spent like a million dollars to move the gas station across the street. But they must have the data and understanding to know that long-term, that's what they needed to do. Yeah. You see it all the time. Restaurants will go to the other side of the street, depending on where the flow of the traffic is going to be. Yeah. But I mean, you're talking major chains. I mean, you know, like Starbucks, you, you talked about Olive Garden earlier. Starbucks is not a franchise concept. They're all corporately owned with the exception of, you know, ones in airports or in a bookstore or something, but they're, they're mostly all corporate stores. Yeah. And think about the experience you have when you go to a Starbucks. It's pretty good, like, you know, comparatively to other coffee chains. Well, this is awesome. Um, yeah, I, I think we've gone through all the questions. Rick, uh, so for everyone out there, they can get the book on Amazon, mm -hmm. right? And it's uh, it's available for Kindle. And for those of you out there who don't own a Kindle, it's okay. You can just get a There's a Kindle reading app you can put on any device, like an iPad or your phone. Uh, you can even have a, a Kindle reading view on a desktop, so in a browser window. So because it's, I don't believe it's available as a paperback, it's just a Kindle book right no, now. No, again, I didn't write this to, to self-promote myself. I just really wanted to help. I think it's a couple bucks, like three, four dollars on Kindle just to, yeah. I don't, I don't care about the money i'll donate the money because it's not about the money it's about the information where does the money go rick do you know where the money goes <laughs> well i do a lot of donating so <laughs> all right uh thank you so much for coming and joining me i i've i've enjoyed myself and and uh i love hearing the stories of of everything that happens in these businesses that you've been a part of and uh, i think it's great that you're willing to share your experience with everyone else out there 
so many people in my audience um, are interested in business, but have never been in business. And I find it so valuable to be able to share someone, uh, someone's experiences of what it can really be like, um, because everything can look really good on paper. And then when it comes to time to execute and actually, you know, putting stuff on tables and making customers smile and collecting the money and managing the employees, that's, that's when things kind of come off the rails sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And Dave, I know, I know your audience. Uh, I mean, I follow you on, on your different social channels and your email marketing and so on. And, and I know the type of audience and the messaging that you're delivering. I can tell you firsthand uh, in inquiring businesses, the, uh, the stuff that I've done is, is right out of that playbook. Like it's, and it's amazing that if you go in and I have to say this, and I know it's not about theft, but um, when you go in not being desperate, you always get the better deal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's the not having the compulsion pushing you because yeah. as, as soon as you are needing to do the deal, uh, that's when you end up doing something that, uh, that you shouldn't do. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Have a great night. And, uh, what are you doing Christmas Eve? You want to come back? I think I can. I, my son will be down around that time, but I'm sure I can make time for you and your, and your audience, Dave. I'd love to do that. Awesome. Well, we'll I'll see you the I've got the beard. I'm going to keep it white. So maybe I'll be Santa Claus this year. There you go. All <laughs> right. Have a good one. Thanks, Dave. All right. Bye, everybody. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me and how I work with my clients. You can learn more about my books and the online courses that I've prepared for you. You can find out about how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, et cetera. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free, and I'd love for you to be my guest. Special thanks go out to Jeff Alpaw Customs for being my tailor. Men all around the world can look dangerous, just like me with the help of Jeff Alpaw Customs. JeffAlpaw.com, use the code DCB10 to save. They handle multiple currencies and ship anywhere you happen to be.